Hello, and welcome to another episode of All of Them Witches. I'm your host, Marcus, here to talk about movies. So, since my last recording, I watched a couple films, um, only one of them that could be considered horror, I would say. Um, been going through the Criterion channel uh, a bit more lately because I realized that a bunch of movies are expiring at the end of April, and uh, there's a ton that I want to watch. I made a list of at least 10 films, uh, but... Uh, maybe more, I don't remember, but I really want to get through them all, hopefully, before they leave the service. So some of the ones that I've watched, again, that are not horror, are Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, Diva, and Thank God It's Friday. Of these, I really like Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, um, and Thank God It's Friday was quite fun. Very different films, um, the latter being a movie about disco, so... And one that probably a lot of people have not seen, um, because in general I feel like a lot of these disco-themed movies just sort of were around and no one cares about them so much anymore. Or if they do, it's um, Saturday Night Fever, which everyone refers to. So I want to check out some other disco films. That was pretty good. A very funny, almost all the jokes still hit, made me laugh out loud. Very surprising to give that impact. Um, just silly, you know, it's not serious, but I enjoyed it. Um... But the horror-ish film that I watched from Criterion Channel most recently was Eyes of Laura Mars. And this is one I have actually been wanting to watch for years now. Um, that's kind of a theme with most movies that I watch, unless they are newer films. If they're, you know, 10 plus years old, then chances are I have had them on my list for 10 years. <laughs> and just haven't got around to them yet. It's really, you know, I know most of the older horror films and whatnot at this point. It's mainly newer films that are obviously brand new. I wouldn't know about until they're there. Um, and then, of course, like the super weird, like, direct-to-VHS stuff and whatnot that comes up from Vinegar Syndrome, which is why I like them, because I like being surprised. Eyes of Laura Mars is a 1978 film with a really cool title. I love that name. It's so, like, enigmatic. Like, what, what about her eyes? What is that about? So... In any case, the movie is basically about a sort of fashion photographer woman named Laura Mars, and she is quickly gaining popularity and fame as this photographer who does very violent and sexual images, and then uses these images as, like, um, they're allowed to be sold and used for, um, like, marketing materials, so it's like, oh, we're advertising perfume or something but it's this really kind of messed up image that's being used like there's someone dead someone like killed them all in the photo or whatever lots of violence and then like nudity of women so it's kind of at the time I guess in the 70s I would say that was pretty shocking concept uh it makes sense that people would be angry very angry about that um so that's the very basic premise that she's a photographer she's taking pictures and not just being a photographer, though, she has some sort of strange vision at the very beginning of the movie where she sees through the eyes of someone else, um, she sees that other person walk into the home of the editor of her, like, photo book, and that this person who she's seeing from the perspective of killing that woman, and that's very beginning of the movie, that's what it opens with, so clearly there is something supernatural something strange going on where she can see murder and it seems like that may be a uh, theme going forward so i've given you the basics and i'm gonna put it, uh the trailer in now 
And it basically say pretty much the same thing, but maybe give a little bit more uh, info onto the uh, main characters of the story. So here it is. Taking models and the beautiful people. Academy Award winner Faye Dunaway is photographer Laura Mars. Her work, the subject of controversy. Tommy Lee Jones is detective John Neville, intrigued by her photographs for his own reasons. These are police photographs. They are strictly our own material. They were never published anywhere at all. So my question is very simple. Why am I photographed so much like yours? That's right. Somewhere between the sensations of high fashion and the precise form of her art lies another dimension, unexplored, unexpected. Unwillingly, Laura Mars becomes a witness to a series of murders watching through the eyes of a killer. What's in front of me? What I see is that. Think of that camera as the eyes of the killer. Drawn by a mystery. Do you understand? Their lives converge. Her world, sensual, dazzling. Provocative. His world. Demanding. Dangerous. Violent. This is incredible. In the midst of all of this, I, I can't stop thinking of you. I know. I know. Well, what, what is going on? I don't know. I mean, it's completely unprofessional of me to be walking with you in the woods, I'll tell I you that. I don't have time for this. I'm supposed to be catching a killer. <laughs> well, I'm completely out of control. Pursued by visions, she is linked to a killer. At any place, at any time, a witness. At any moment, a victim of her own eyes. Alright, so that was the trailer, and it includes a bit of the theme song, which I really love, which is by Barma Streisand. I, I was like, wow, they play that in the very beginning of the movie, and I was like, already, I am into this soundtrack. So, in any case, the movie picks up, as I said, we've seen through Laura's 
eyes that there was a murder of someone she knew involved in her photo business. And so people, of course, at the who are involved with her are shaken a bit because this is revealed when they are sort of doing an exhibition of their new artwork. And, you know, bad time to uh, learn about someone's death. But they must persist. So Laura gets right back to work. She sets up a scene, like, in the middle of New York City, it seems, where, you know, they're just a little bit blocked off. But everyone could still, all the, like, uh, passerbys can still see the scene, which is, like, this car crash scenario. And a group of girls who are, like, fighting each other and, like, pulling each other's hair and stuff while the cars in the background are, like, on fire. So it's a very strange scene. Uh, I guess the photos would come out pretty cool. I don't know. I don't understand art. But while she's taking her photos, she starts to have another vision, one of these sort of killer visions, killer point of view visions. And it's as soon as she sees, like, that there's someone watching a woman, she's very disturbed. She knows where this is going, basically. Because she's trying to, you know, just be there in the photo, uh, photo session, but she can't because she's got these visions happening. And, of course, she sees murder finally occur, and she can she can, just cannot keep working today, so the scene's over. She basically leaves because she already left in the middle of this vision, but when it proceeds and she sees the death, she's just, like, running for this house because she knows the woman who's in the vision and runs up there, and the police are already there, so it's, like, too late. She couldn't save her. But she decides to just, like, in her panic, she's like, to the police, I saw it. I saw this happen, basically. So they're like, oh, it's a witness. But, of course, when they ask her what she saw, what did the killer look like, um, where was she, it's, you know, she can't answer these questions because she wasn't physically there. She's like, I was a couple blocks away when I saw this. And so they're like, okay, um, well, you're coming down to the station with us because that's obviously very suspicious thing it doesn't make any sense how could you see the killer if you see the murder if you weren't anywhere near this building at that time so she meets this cop uh john and they're talking and apparently john he was at the exhibit and she didn't realize he was a cop yet at the time but now she knows she's like well what were you doing at the exhibit that's like so random and he tells her hey you know we've kind of been following this because or at least he has because some of the photos that she's taken for her art mirror those of, like, crime scene photos that the police department has that they have never released of various murders. And they're very close matches. It's very clear that they seem, it seems inspired by the actual murder photos. So Laura's like, you know, back when these happened, that's when I first started having visions of violence. And, you know, so that's sort of when she got started in her career was trying to replicate these visions she was having, these photos, these depictions of violence that came into her mind suddenly and sort of replicate them on film. Obviously, at the point of this film, things start to fall apart as, as people who are targeted are now people related to her work, the people that she works with in her daily life, her models, her friends. But they can't catch her for anything. Obviously, they don't think she's the murderer, though they may think she's a little bit out there so she gets to go back uh home and for whatever reason her ex-husband is in the house and like just jumps on her when she gets in the house which is not the way to like greet someone ever um, i never understand that in movies like as a fake jump scare where they have someone who's not the bad person like jump on someone else like why if you're gonna be in someone's house uninvited unannounced 
like wait at the front door. Don't like go in the house and hide in the dark to scare them. Ugh. Anyway, he's her ex-husband and he's there. He's afraid that people think he's the killer because the next woman who was killed was like they were having a relationship, the ex-husband and this woman. But, you know, he's like, it wasn't me. Um, he's a creep. He's not very attractive. I don't know what, you know, well, Laura Mars, but Faye Dunaway is so beautiful. Why would she be with this skeevy dude? You know? Uh, well, whatever. Anyway, he's a total freak. And I think drunk, so she just, like, gives him another drink and a $100 bill and is like, get out of here. Much easier than dealing with anything else that he has, you know, to ask from her. After dealing with her ex-husband, it's sort of like she's hanging out in, it seems like the studio or something, like the photo area, the photo studio. She's just, like, hanging out in her, I think, workplace? I'm not sure. But while she's there completely alone, she starts to have a vision and the vision of is basically of going up to that building. And so next what comes is this really interesting chase sequence where she is running blindly basically to escape what she is seeing, which is someone racing and chasing behind her. So it's like a chase scene with herself in a weird way. And it's very cool. And she manages to get out safely. Despite all this, she is continuing to do photo shoots and... Whenever we get to these photo shoots, there's always fun disco songs playing. And I, you know, it's like, I, obviously, these are well known disco songs. And one of them in, around this time is Let's All Chant. And I love that song so much. I love it. It's like one of my favorite songs in general. And so just hearing that, it's just like, yeah, I love it. You guys have good taste, clearly. And I think those songs playing throughout the whole movie kind of lend a time and place to this film, which it might otherwise not have so much. Because um, the, fashion clothes that they're wearing you know they're high fashion they're not like 70s fashion so it's the fashion wise that can sort of land this film at any point in time but the disco music definitely sort of plants it in okay this was the late 70s and i enjoy that but you know she's just these visions come to her at any time she cannot control them and so once again she has to like sort of stop another photo shoot because she cannot continue she cannot deal with what she's seeing so the police are talking some of, to some of the actresses and saying, hey, um, have you ever received like obscene phone calls or threatening letters or anything like that? And the girls were like, yeah, totally. Um, and one of them is like, hey, you know, I've actually, I kept them. So I can bring them in because they're thinking maybe the suspect is someone who's against, who is morally opposed or whatever to these photos. So they're like, okay, uh, yeah, just bring them in next time. Unfortunately... Um, after this, the girls go home, the two models, and Laura starts having another vision of that, those two models, I guess they live together at their house, and that someone is coming to get them. So, what really interested me in this part is one of the girls comes to the door because apparently the, um, murderer knocks on the door and has recognition. She sees the person and she's like, oh my, she doesn't, you can't hear what they're saying, but she's like, it seems like she's saying something like, oh my gosh, um, what's wrong? Like, let, of course, come in. And that's when she gets stabbed with an ice pick in the eye. Um, I didn't mention that earlier, but that's the sort of trademark of this killer. They have an ice pick and they shoot, they just kill them by poking them in the eye with it. So the one girl is dead. The killer walks into the other room where the other girl is laying down and she gets killed as well. And of course, Laura can do nothing but try to call that number because again, these are her models. 
and she calls and there's nothing to be done because obviously they are both already dead. So things are just not going well. I go to a funeral. It's probably like the third, fourth funeral they've been to. This whole troop of people. And Laura's just can't deal with it. The media has come to the funeral. They're trying to talk to Laura like about, you know, is it your fault? Like what's going on here? Um, so she just sort of runs away with John, the cop. And they're sort of walking in the forest or something. And they start kissing each other because... I don't know. It's, you know, they've both been through so much trauma and drama that I guess they just find solace in each other, a little bit of something to get their minds off of everything that has been going on. So, of course, they spend the night together. They are, you know, now they're a thing. From there, Laura's like, okay, you know, we're going to go to a party for my um, friend who's, he seems to be... Um, like her manager or not a manager but something of that nature so they go to the party they're having fun but uh, Laura gets a call from her ex-husband who's saying you know, he woke up somewhere drunk he doesn't know where he is but he's gonna kill himself and so she's like okay I I need to leave this party I need to help him and I'm like um why just let him die I mean that's a very cruel thing to say but it appears very clearly from what little you've ever seen of this guy that this ex-husband was a piece of trash all around. And she does not need to sympathize for him. He did not deserve her. He needs to either clean up his own life on his own or, you know, whatever. Because he's just nothing. Anyway, either way, she plays a trick. So she leaves and... um Donald, her agent, or whoever he is, decides, okay, we're going to play this trick on the cops, so I'm going to dress in your clothes. I'm going to run away out, you know, and they're going to follow me because the cops are, like, watching Laura. And then when I am being chased by them, you just get in your car and leave for real and go to your ex. So that's what they do. And Donald, you know, he gets out of town in his dress, but comes back because, the, you know, obviously the cops are like, what do you want? And just leave him alone. So he goes back, gets ready to go back to the party, gets in the elevator. But unfortunately, Laura's having her vision, again, of someone coming for him now. And she is driving when she starts having this vision. And these visions are all encompassing. You cannot see beyond them. You not, cannot see, like, the real world at the same time. You can only see the vision. So she's driving and, like, smashing in the walls and, like, clipping cars. It is dramatic. Like, if it were not played right or if the mood wasn't set well this would be a super funny scene but with everything that was going and how tense it was and how i was into the film i felt very tense at this whole sequence and it was very scared instead of like laughing at how funny it is that she's like rampaging the streets with her car because she can't see so unfortunately donald's dead too and after this the cops find what they believe is the clue to the murderer which is that um, there was a playing card under the dead body of Donald, and his playing card belonged to Tommy. And Tommy is sort of this... He's involved with the photography company, but he's not like a photographer or a model or anything. He just sort of seems like a gopher or a driver for them. And he was, you know, so he was there. Obviously, he was a driver. He brought Laura. And he just, you know, sits around with his playing cards and stuff So while he's waiting for them to leave. So since they find his cards, like, okay... It's probably Tommy. Tommy meets up with John. And as the cop's talking to Tommy, he's like, you know, 
Um, it seems like you might have been involved. Like, do you have any times in your life where you can't remember things? Do you remember everything that happened last night? Is there a period of time where you don't remember something? And he's clearly trying to say, like, there's something where, you know, you might be committing these murders, but you cannot remember them. You're just sort of blacking out at this point when the murders occur. And that really freaks out Tommy. He gets really disturbed when he gets the idea that, oh, maybe they're going to throw me in, like, a mental institution. He freaks out. He runs away. He shanks a cop. You know, he's doing all the things he should not be doing if he is innocent. But he's clearly very scared. So he just runs out there, runs, 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 runs. But he does get killed by getting shot by one of the cops when they finally um, catch him. And he dies. So that's yet another death, though this one was not by a murderer. This was clearly, you know, we think you're the suspect. We're going to kill you because you are clearly acting extremely suspiciously. And there's no other way we can get you, apparently. And, you know, as you go through the movie, it's like, okay, I'm going to suspect the various men in this film as potentially being murderers. The most first one and the most obvious, the ex-husband. The next being, okay, maybe it's... Tommy, because apparently he also had a sort of jail time before he had armed assault on his record. You think, okay, maybe it's him. You also think maybe it's Donald for some reason. Um, why not? And then you also think, well, maybe it's the cop, uh, John. And of course, as each person is getting killed off, that's just whittling down your list of potential killers. And so it's around that point when it's like, oh yeah, it is clearly John, isn't it? This is clear when you... when um. Okay, Tommy's been killed, and now Johnny's coming to pick up Laura and say, "Hey, we're gonna, we're just gonna get out of here, okay? Let's go somewhere else. Forget all this stuff." And he he gets into the elevator with the ex-husband Michael, and I'm like, "Okay, okay, one of them's gonna kill each other, clearly." And this is when Laura has another vision, and she sees murder happening happening in the elevator of her building. And it's not super clear because um, the scenes are very sort of close up and quick. 100%, you may not be 100% sure who the killer is at that point. But it, I, for me, it was clear enough. I saw, okay, that's him. That's him. He's dead. He's dead. Husband, ex-husband's dead. And of course, Laura's still seeing the vision, sees the person walking up to her door. So she rushes blindly to lock everything. She's got like a deadbolt and stuff. Um, stuff that someone with a key cannot open. So she sets it up. The door is shaking, shaking, shaking for a while, but then it stops. And then, of course, very dramatically, John uses an outdoor chair thing to break open the windows by her sort of, like, deck or whatever. And comes in there, embraces her. It's like, what's wrong? What's wrong? And she's flipping out, like, oh, the murderer is here. I saw him. I saw the vision. I saw my, you know, whoever died in the elevator. I just, he's here. Please protect me. And so while they're having this sort of frantic back and forth john is like no 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 it's okay tommy's dead he was the killer she's like no because i just saw a vision he was just in the elevator and john's like no i was just in the elevator i didn't see anyone and so they calm down slightly and john is like okay let me tell you how i know you know how it was tommy i'm going to tell you about his messed up childhood and she starts listening to him talk about it but i guess she knows tommy pretty well she's like no that's not tommy's story and John is talking about basically his mother being a prostitute. Um, I think taking people, you know, taking anyone. And that one day she, um, he believes that the person who is actually his father comes and kills his mother right in front of him. And at this point he's using um, 
like first person to describe the events of what's happening. So the horse like, um, that's not Tommy's story. Is that your story? Because you just said you, you know, I, when you were describing this scene. So clearly it's not right. He continues to talk about like, oh, college and current life and how basically he is taking care of John. So it's sort of like a split personality thing, it appears, going on. Where there is the one personality that fell in love with Laura, has been with Laura. But then there is also this other personality, which is the killing one. So obviously 100% Laura knows he is the killer and is freaking out, running away, trying to call the police, but she can't do any of this stuff. Fortunately, she does have a gun, which John gave her to protect herself. So she grabs that. She's run, She's cornered. But it seems that the quote-unquote good John has control of the body for the time being. And he's basically saying, you know, I love you so much, but if you love me, you have to kill him. Him being himself as well. Um, and she finally does. She shoots him. He dies. And it's just sort of, you know, then she's calling... You hear the voiceover and then imagery of her calling 911 and saying, you know, she was going to be killed. And basically that's how the film ends. It's just like she finally killed him. Quite a dramatic film. Highly supernatural. There was never an explanation for Laura's visions or how she is linked in this case to John murdering. And I guess that's fine. You know, there doesn't need to be a link to explain these sorts of supernatural elements. I just kind of thought there might be. Things that I did love about this movie, the soundtrack, low, disco soundtrack, perfect. I enjoyed the fashion. I enjoyed the photography as well. The photos that were taken were pretty good um, for what they were. I think it's interesting because a lot of the photos in that, in this movie, this 1978 film, I feel like there was, I don't know, I didn't research this, but there were controversies in the 2000s, maybe even later than that, um, about photos being used for stuff like perfume and makeup that depicted, like, murder. And a lot of those images seem so familiar. They seem like they were drawn from this movie. I don't know. But it was very cool to think about that and see, you know, uh, this movie was saying something, and even now, in these in the modern era, that is... That is that sort of concept of using murder or death or glor, you know, kind of quote-unquote glorifying it in some way is still extremely touchy. And that makes sense. It should be, to a degree. Um, though those same arguments still persist that, oh, this is going to make people commit violence because they see it. And that's still a, t a conversation that we have today. So I just thought that was intriguing. You know, this movie's how old would that be? 40 years old now or something so still a hot topic i really liked faye dunaway's performance here i quite enjoyed every the other characters as well they were all pretty much likable except for the ex-husband obviously he's not supposed to be likable um i found it fun i thought the murders were interesting and the concept interesting i like that it's it's something that apparently in the lore of the world something that Laura has dealt with for years and it's only now that it becomes sort of overbearing or uncontrollable. I like to imagine that, like how people might live with that sort of thing in their everyday life. I mean, if you come to this movie and sort of view it as a lens of like something about PTSD or, you know, that sort of thing, I can, 
you know, it really makes sense. It's like a parallel for a real affliction in real life where people will have these triggers and such. So, although in this case, Laura Mars, no, she does have triggers because she, it's often when she's photographing the, uh, photographing the violence. So, I don't know. But all in all, pretty good film. Um, I enjoyed it. It is not all that I expected it to be. It is not quite as fashionable and glitzy as I would have liked. But still, pretty good film. So if you have Criterion Channel, you can tune in and watch Eyes of Laura Mars uh, between now and April 31st or April 30th. Um, or I think it's also available just digitally if you want to like pick it up for a rental. I don't know if it's on other streaming services. There you go. Uh, thanks for listening, and I look forward to talking about another movie in the next episode.